Today, I'm joined by Matt Peters, founder and publisher of Orlando-based Beating Windward Press. He also sports an amazing ledger of other previous occupations. Matt's going to share with us some of his motivations for starting Beating Windward, what the state of independent publishing is in Florida, and in general, during COVID, and discuss some of the authors and books he's introduced to the reading public through his press. I'm Christopher Nick, and welcome to the Florida Book Club. I'm here with Matt Peters, founder of the Orlando-based publisher Beating Windward Press. Beating Windward published, and Matt wrote the introductory essay to Condoms and Hot Tubs Don't Mix, a title that you profess to hate, I remember. Yes. Which we discussed on this podcast last season. So uh, welcome to Florida Book Club, Matt. Thank you. So Beating Windward was founded in 2011, and uh, I'm, you know, there's a link to, to the site uh, that our readers can click on on our website. So they'll be able to, you know, read about it. And I loved the what's in our name, all of that uh, um, explanation. And I thought it was really great that you uh, gave shout outs to your previous interns in addition to your uh, current ones too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, and I probably need to update that. I was actually just interviewing a new intern today. Or, or not interviewing. I was seeing if she knew what she was getting into. <laughs> <laughs> just it was more of a warning yeah it, it was totally a, a disclaimer and warning and cautionary like sign here if you agree to all of this stuff or you're aware of all this stuff gotcha what was your impetus for founding the press though i mean especially in light uh, according to your uh, your bio on on beating windward site all of the various occupations you've had previously like what made you want to get into publishing at this level um yeah, it's kind of where to start with that. So I'm sorry about my my pauses. <laughs> um, I had, yeah, I guess starting the, founding the press and getting into publishing both happened at, at the same time. It wasn't, I guess that's the problem, is I never thought about getting into publishing until I started thinking about starting my own press. Um, I had been, uh, I graduated from grad school in 2006-ish, give or take a hurricane or two. And it, you know, I had been out and beaten the pavement and a lot of the writers that I knew that were fabulous writers had been beating the pavement and doing the, the writing conference circuit and things like that and trying to meet agents and, and get attention and get published. And I kept hearing um, from writers that had made it or, you know, gotten with the big five or with larger indies and at conferences that with all the work that a writer has to do to promote themselves and with a little bit of help you get from a publisher, that there really wasn't much difference between going with one of the big five and going with one of the indies. Um, and somehow in my head, I equated that with just being your own publisher, which is not the same thing because there's a heck of a lot more work than goes into it. But that kind of got the idea of, of being accepting of the indies and saying, yeah, why not go get published with the indies or try to get published with the indies. But at the same time, all of my various jobs, I was basically a one person marketing department and trade show coordinator for a, a, an industrial and aerospace industrial company. 
that has nothing to do with anything I'd ever done in my whole life. It was totally random. Um, but I'd learned a whole lot of skills from producing catalogs and commercials and marketing to signing up for events. And part of what I realized this being having no experience in the aerospace industry, no real marketing training at all, is kind of this thing that I'd heard that, you know, if you present yourself at something and you're confident and, you know, other people will respond and they'll treat you like a professional or they'll accept you and they won't question it. Nobody's going to ask for your proof of your diploma and everything. And so it was basically being treated like a professional by an entire industry when I didn't feel like a professional in my head. I felt like, oh my God, I can't do this. Every time I'm turning around, I had to learn something new. Kind of was this, well, maybe everybody is kind of faking it until they make it. And, you know, behind the scenes, everything's really chaotic and everybody's acting like it's, they know what they're doing. Um, and so I kind of just was like, well, you know, I can't get any traction on my writing. My friends can't get any traction on their writing. Let's just start our own press and do our own thing. And it was kind of like I had the technical skills uh, and I had the contacts. And so it was sort of a an impulsive, an impulse that it's like one of those ideas you're like, yeah, yeah, I should do that. But then it never stops nagging at you and it still sticks there and you keep playing with it. And you're like, maybe I really should do this. So I don't know. Very long answer. I'm sorry for that. No, we love long answers. Okay, because oh, it was comprehensive. I put uh, it. Jenny and and Leslie should have warned you about me like that. So I'll I'll just go and go and go. I and I'll ask a paragraph long question here and there. Okay, good. <laughs> and then at the end, I still don't know if I answered your question, but it was kind of a why not? Why the hell not? So I can't imagine the early days of it, you know, when, when it was getting off the ground. I mean, did you still have that sense of enthusiasm? I mean, you know, because as we discussed off microphone, so to speak, you know, there's a lot of other, uh, you know, uh, just bureaucracy and protocols and, and just the things you have to there's do. There's a lot of work. work. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of adulting that goes into running a business. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the early days of, you know, my my impulse sarcastic answer was hopeful and enthusiastic that's what the early days were like um because as we'll get into i'm sure i i am kind of bitter and jaded at this point but it was even though we knew we were operating on a small scale and we were just doing things ourselves um we you know my my wife is a graphic designer so and she'd been working in print design for 15 20 years by the time she started doing our books so you know, her designer friends are like, wow, this looks like a real book. And we're like, well, of course, you know, if we're going to do something, we're going to do it right. So we had really good product. We didn't look like a small press, but it was just this, we were out there and we were doing it. And it was kind of like a lot of us, myself and the the first writers, which two of my first writers, I actually went through UCF with, not grad school. So they came from my undergrad. Um, and then the third or fourth was somebody I met from grad school and things like that. And so it was these people that I'd gone through the process with, and we'd all dreamed of being the writer and, and having a book out and walking around at a conference and talking and being the person being interviewed and things like that. Um, so there was a lot of that sort of, you know, it's finally happening with a little bit of, yeah, we're make you know, we're not quite playing pretend, but you know, we know we aren't the the super successes. You know, we're doing that. It was this, it was like little vacations. 
Yeah, I, 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 there was a bit of imposter syndrome then, as, as they say. I think everybody <laughs> has that, and that's kind of what I meant. Where I know like, what you mean. Yeah. Everybody's winging it, and it's like, you know, oh, the people they just don't let on that they're have no clue what they're doing. You know, being in in business meetings at successful companies and seeing how things are done in the background, you're like, wow, they're just juggling eggs and hoping they don't break. It's it's so much of that. It's like, oh, wow, shit, I could do that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but being a small press in Florida though, too, mm-hmm. I mean, like the challenges of that or how it's rewarding. I mean, do you have a sense of what the publishing community in the state is like? I mean, outside of like this, you know, the University Press of Florida or. Yeah. Um, through the Miami Book Fair, we got in touch with a lot of the people in South Florida that were doing some things. Um, lip service was one of the the open mic or spoken word things that now has been taken over by the as part of the Miami Book Fair. Um, and some of the smaller presses there that, of course, I don't remember off the top of my head. And then there's in Tampa, there's a open mic spoken word thing called wordier than thou mm-hmm. which i don't know if you've talked with tiffany as part of Word- i know a couple wordier of them now yeah um and then here in orlando at the time we had there will be words with borough press had just started i think six months before i started my press we, we kind of independently started presses not realizing that you know all of us had been through ucf i i was just kind of like a generation ahead um, because I did my undergrad at UCF and then went off to the University of New Orleans to do my grad program and just kind of had this, a lot of people trying to break in doing spoken word, whether it was poetry or reading nonfiction or stories and just, yeah, kind of a lot of 20, 30 somethings, not so much playing at publisher, but just like taking that deep breath and jumping and being like, we're just going to do it. Like we're just doing it, you know, having that stupidity or fortitude, whatever it is to jump off the cliff and do it. And I, I guess I kind of get the awe like, Oh, you're doing it. But having done it, I'm like, dude, anybody can do this. You know, you just have to be silly enough to do it. But yeah, it, it was never really competitive you know, you lo- I loved going and seeing somebody blow me away at a, you know, Lindsay Hunter. I don't know if you ever get a chance to see Lindsay Hunter. She's mostly out of uh, Chicago these days. She doesn't even need a microphone. She's just blasting her story out. And it's just incredible, like um, much more of a spoken word performance than a reading. Um, and just some of the other people in town that, that just do really cool, neat stuff. Um, Catherine Carson's stuff always weirds me out. Like her stuff is just great and she's such a nice sweet calm quiet woman and then she reads this thing and you're horrified and disturbed it's great to see that kind of the live stuff there so I don't know it felt like a bunch of it felt like a bunch of us who got out of grad school and missed being in grad school is what it felt like (laughs) I can understand that too we all wanted to be in workshop again Do you run into any misconceptions about what your press or small presses generally do or what kind of works you publish or anything like in terms of submissions you've received or, or anything? Well, there's always the, the submission that totally ignores what the heck you do um, where they believe they have a really good idea and 
it's just all it needs is somebody to publish it and it will make millions and sell billions of copies and <laughs> they're going to be rich. And it's, it kind of ties in with that amateurish belief that all you have to do is get a book out and you'll be rich and famous pretty soon, um, which is definitely, definitely not the case. We weren't even trying to be rich and famous. We were just doing it for beer and tattoo money. And it was still very, very hard to, to get by with that. Um, but yeah, so usually people just not having a clue the type of thing I do. And oh, hey, it's it's a book. Here, take it. Yeah, now I know what you mean about, you know, the, the sort of thing like, you know, self-publishing something or, or uh, you know, uploading a song to YouTube and then thinking, you know, oh, I've got a record contract coming, <laughs> things like that. I know what you mean. I've had students who, who think those sorts of things. Like, yeah, and you just want to tell them, it's like, well, I started painting and, you know, Van Gogh sold for millions, so I'm going to be rich. <laughs> yeah. Or... Or what I usually do is, oh, yeah, this gangster rap thing is hot. I'm going to drop a gangster rap album. That's what I'm going to get into doing as a straight white guy. And that usually makes them go, oh, okay. It's a good, that's a good counter analogy. I like that. Yeah, it, it's just that misconception of how it works. Because I've got friends, you know, my friends have gone on and managed to get success. And I've got friends published with each one of the big five. And none of them are, are you know, all of them have a day job. All of them have, it's all just extra, extra cash. It's a hobby that pays a little bit of money. You know, one of my friends said, he goes, yeah, I go to talk to these guys and they're like, oh yeah, that book, that book was a roof on the house. And that book was, that was braces for the kid. And that book was, we needed a new car. That was a down payment on the new car. And it's like, that's what the books are, like the, the money from them. It's not like, oh, I got my yacht with that one. And <laughs> then we bought our house in the Hamptons. And it's not that at all. Like, yeah, you're not going to be Stephen King or Anne Rice or uh, J.K. Rowling. Yeah, <laughs> and even them, when you go back and look at it, they all start, well, except for J.K. Rowling, but they all started off pretty slow. And even with Harry Potter. King was a teacher, too. For yeah. A uh, Harry Potter, people forget that it wasn't, it, the fourth book was coming out, but by the time the first book finally became a bestseller, like, it wasn't instant. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a good point. I didn't expect that answer. I mean, in that in that form, but you're right. I mean, I think some people who aren't in, you know, creative or artistic circles tend to think, you know, that publication of your work in whatever forum, it, you know, is this instant, is like somehow instant world fame or riches. Yeah, I had, it was right when COVID started and the quarantines, it was like, and people were getting laid off. I had people coming out of the woodwork asking me for advice and public I'm like dude if if there was a solution to get rich and famous don't you think I'd already have done it like I, I don't have the answer but it felt like people were coming to me desperate for I need I need to make money I'm like well writing a book is not gonna to support you when you got laid off or but I totally get it because I'm like I gotta make an Etsy shop and sell crafts you know we all have those illusions or delusions of something we're not familiar with no, yeah, hey, I, I, people thought this podcast who probably, you know, uh, uh, 30 people are listening to or something, whatever, yeah. like, you know, oh my God, you're going to monetize this immediately. Here, yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I want to be like, I sure hope you talked to John King at, at the Drunken Odyssey before you got into this, because I'm sure he would have tried to talk you off the cliff. Because um, he's like, I can't make this train stop, but it won't pay for itself, you know. <laughs> No, no, I've, I've been very fortunate, you know, in some of my circumstances with this. So, yeah, I know what, I, I get what you're saying. Um, what kind of works do you generally look to publish, though? Like I note on your website that you talk about putting out books that reflect the individual tastes of your staff, 
like mostly mainstream fiction with a literary edge, for example. That, that's marketing BS for whatever comes across the desk that we think is cool. Awesome. So, yeah. Uh, that's what I kind of get when I saw in reflecting the individual tastes of your staff. I was like, well, that I, kind of... I don't know who I stole that from, like Curbside Splendor Press or or Red Balloon, you know, some other indie press was like, that is genius. I'm stealing that line. Like that, you know, I totally cobbled a lot well, of my clearly stuff. Clearly resonated by, with me when I saw that. Yeah, going in just, and uh, we could probably Google the phrase and find out who I ripped it off from. But um, it, yeah, I did, I was doing my research. I'd learned by that point, if you're going to jump into something like publishing, do your research. So I'm like, well, what does everybody else's about themselves look like? Or how do you write the, the writer's guidelines? Yeah, I don't make it easy for people to figure out what the heck I publish. Um, and that's because I really didn't have a, a game plan or an identity. That was one of my early business failings, I think, was I didn't say, I'm going to do urban fantasy and cyberpunk, or I'm going to do, you know, literary. You know, Borough Press was great with their, like, we're doing Central Florida literary or we're doing Florida-related literary work definitely helped them out because it gave them a focus where I was like, I'm going to do pulp noir African-American historical for my first book. And then my second book's going to be modern Gothic fairy tales. It just really, it was, I had these friends that I'd gone through school with and it, it's not simple as simple as friends because not every single friend I went through school with, I want to publish their work. But when you're going through a program, you meet other writers and you read other writers and you're like, oh my God, they're awesome. I hope they like me so I can be their friend, that type of thing. You know, um, these people that whose work I admired and loved and genuinely a fan of them. And in addition to them being my friends, and it was like, that stuff needs to be out there. Like, you know, Dale's Doc Voodoo book needed, I wanted to read book two. So he wasn't going to write book two till I published, till somebody published book one. So I was like, well, damn it, I'll publish book one because I want to read book two. Now I'm trying to get book three out of it. But, um, you know, just, and um, Karen Best stories, you know, they don't hit you really hard in the beginning. You're like, okay, that's kind of weird. But later you're like, you're still thinking about it. And you're like, it won't leave my head. And that's where I, I got the description. They're haunting. Her stories just kind of seep in real subtly and then just occupy the spot in your mind to disturb you for a long time. And it's like, you know, so there's usually, I've, I've almost boiled it down to, there's usually some sort of cross genre aspect to the works I publish. And there's usually kind of a darker, grittier edge to some of it, but there is definitely a literary talent or a wordplay that goes there. Um, not saying everybody has to have an MFA or everybody has to have been through a writing program. I'll totally look at stuff that hasn't. And I've been amazed by some stuff that comes from somebody who was not, you know, any formally studied, but there just has to be that fun and play with language, I guess. And it, it's all very intangible. I just have to read it and be like, oh my God, this needs to be in the world. And usually I try to talk the authors out of publishing with me, actually. I think Boat Girl was the third or fourth book we did. And I was like, Melanie, you don't, don't waste this book on me. Take it somewhere bigger. Take it larger. Like, we made this awesome. Great. Now take it somewhere and do something with it. She's like, no, you worked on this. We, you're my friend. We got to get this done. We're going to do it. You know, there's a lot of times I have that conversation like, this is awesome. Go somewhere bigger than me. <laughs> you know, I want this to, to have a better life than I can give it.
We should note for our listeners that Doc Voodoo and uh, Karen Best, you can go to Beating Windward's page and see. These are among the books that they have published. I, I talk about them like everybody is familiar with them when I totally know nobody ever is. This is, to, to allude to something or to you were, you were kind of talked about earlier, but what is the, the pandemic? How is, what kind of effect has that had on small press publishing? But, but Beating Windward Specifically, you said that you were taking a uh, a one-year break that turned into a two-year break. My one-year break turned into a two-year break. Um, Well, I had hoped that people are going to be home. They're going to be reading more. Their sales are going to go up. And I've had students that have also asked me that, like, have your sales gone up? Like, I would imagine. You would imagine. But actually, some of the sales have gone down. I haven't noticed any significant spike or change really in the buying reading patterns of the people that read our books. Um, You know, and actually this last, I just did the end of the year royalties. The last quarter, the holiday season was really bad for some reason. So the only good thing about it being abysmal was that it made doing royalties really easy, (laughs) but it's depressing at the same time. Yeah. But I mean, we did better in the, the end of summer, beginning of fall, we had a much better quarter that time and I mean and when I'm talking about now I'm talking selling a couple of hundred books you mm-hmm. know and so maybe we dropped we did 150 books for the last quarter which was a noticeable drop you know I wasn't going to to I wasn't going out and doing things um I tell also tell my students don't don't have a house don't have kids don't you know if you want to get stuff done yeah, you should try to shed responsibilities yeah yeah it's like uh, having a kid is, is I really should have just said okay I'm gonna take a break until he hits puberty and he's done being playing with his dad and that'll be that'll be when I can get back to work um, but yeah a lot of COVID has been just trying to get through the day-to-day stuff my wife my wife's work she does freelance design so her work dried up so a lot of the earning has kind of fallen onto me in my teaching job so I started adjuncting some extra classes to try to make up some some of the money that she had lost and then there's just the the fatigue of dealing with not only the pandemic but current events and you know just trying to stay alive to get through the day really but as far as the publishing um I mean, I guess the break has served me well because I've started tapping some of my older students or previous students and being like, hey, you had this idea. What are you doing with that? And kind of poking my students to, to get them to do stuff and say, if you did that, I would, if you wrote that, I would look at it or things like that. So kind of at the end of it, I'm starting to feel, you know, talking to somebody else about being a new intern for this coming year and things like that. So I guess I, I, it helped me as far as giving me a break to recharge a little bit. Um, but promotional wise, I mean, if I was being active, I should have been going to book fairs and events and readings and community festivals, farmers markets, whatever. And I haven't been doing any of that. So hmm. I can't, I imagine that there's probably kind of been a damper on those sorts of events the last year. Yeah. A lot of, um, um, so one of the presses I follow, one of the larger indie presses is the Cossack press out of Brooklyn. Oh yeah. They do the Noir series. Yeah, the Noir series. They finally just came out with a Tampa Noir. Yeah, I'm hoping to uh, talk to some of those people, actually. Colette Bancroft, who's the book critic for the Tampa Bay Times. We'll we'll talk off after this. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I know some of those people, but um, I was joking with them about, oh, you, you know, you don't really need to do an Orlando Noir because we had the page 15 or the the... 15 views of Orlando. Sorry, I was thinking page 15 and I got distracted. 15 views of Orlando. 
um, those books basically turn into these crime collections of Florida. But uh, anyway, so they, the Johnny Temple at Akasic Books has started doing podcast interviews with his writers and just going deeper into things like as promotional stuff or having them read or um, a lot more of the podcast, video, you know, vlogging, whatever you want to call it, um, virtual events that we probably always could have done and it would have been a lot easier, but we just never thought to do it. Oh no, we must travel and be in the same spot and have be in the same room and all of that. So I've seen some presses do some cool things that way. The thing that really sells books is, is events and meeting people and things like that. So not being able to do it definitely, definitely hurts. I know that you're not, you don't specifically look to publish Florida writers like you were making that distinction earlier, but do a lot of your submissions come from local writers? Um, it seems like a lot of the, the writers uh, are Florida-based, the ones. Uh... They tend to be Florida-based. Some of it is just word of mouth. And, you know, I went to school in New Orleans, so I actually get a lot of contacts from that. Um, but then I also went to school at UCF. And then just being in contact with people, and you see somebody read, and you're like, oh, my God, that was fabulous. Like, let me, is that an excerpt from something? Is that? Um, you know, what is that? And then somebody will refer somebody else, one of the teachers. So I published uh, Melanie Neal, her memoir. And then at the Miami Book Fair, we were having dinner with her mentor, her teacher. And he was like, oh, well, you know who else you should look at next? I got this student and you should check out, you know, Cecilia Fernandez's story. She's really good. So he kind of passed me to somebody else or, or hooked me up with somebody else. And then the next year was like, oh, you need to talk to MJ. And, you know, so it, it just became this kind of rolling who you're with and who you're around. Um, but I went to Seattle and went for AWP one year and picked up some guys from Arizona. And I've got writer from um, Nebraska and writer from Michigan and, and writers from all over that, you know, there is a little bit of random people submitting from wherever, even though I'm closed, closed to submissions. Um, but a lot of it has kind of been the referral network of so-and-so went to school with somebody or, oh, hey, this book would be good for this press. Um, because presses do kind of end up with their own identity. You know, there's, you know, as, as hard as it is for me to define what mine is. Um, but somebody will be talking to somebody and say, oh, well, you should talk to this guy here. So because of Doc Voodoo, there was a, a professor named uh, Julian Chambles, or Chambly, who used to teach at Rollins and then moved up to Michigan somewhere to teach. And he had a student that was doing a graduate thesis that was fiction and it dealt with voodoo magic. And he's like, and she was having trouble getting somebody on her panel for her thesis defense, have somebody read it. And he said, let me ask. And he asked me and said, this is about voodoo and this and that. I said, I'm in, I'll check it out. So I ended up being part of this, this woman's thesis defense or her reading committee, just because I knew Julian from when he worked here and he knew I had the voodoo interest and did sort of weird urban fiction stuff. And everybody at that school was fairly literary. So there's a lot of that. That's the way the networking works. It's, it's really subtle. 
it's, oh, yeah, we meet and, you know, I can't do anything for you now. You can't do anything for me now. But who knows what we're going to run into in the next couple of years. And, oh, I know the perfect person you need to talk to for that. What's going on with you right now? Anything you want to promote, projects you have going on? What's uh, next yeah, meeting Windward Press? Doing something I said I'd never do. So, <laughs> which usually happens. Every book I do tends to be completely different from something I did before. Um, so I've got a, I'm working on an illustrated poetry collection, getting that published, not because I want to do poetry. I don't, I don't understand poetry and poetry makes me feel dumb. So I, I say I hate poetry, but really it's because it makes me feel stupid. Um, and I just don't understand it. Um, but I work with uh, somebody who's a poet and does chat books all the time, uh, Nicole Aquendo, who's part of the Orlando scene. And they've got this book that has been accepted three times and keeps getting either the press that it gets accepted by will go under or they back out of it because they can't get it done for some reason. Um, and I knew it was illustrated and had poetry in it, but I didn't ever bother to talk to them about what made it so complicated. And then I published Guy Psycho and the Ziggurat of Fame, or the Ziggurat of Shame, sorry, Guy Psycho and the Ziggurat of Shame by John King, which is a postmodern, it, it's, yeah, I, the layout of it is very, very interesting. And there's a scene where the characters go into a maze. So all of a sudden the text starts winding and going into a maze. There's a scene where the characters fall into a black pit. So the pages go black and then they click on flashlights and you start seeing part of the text, almost like it should huh. be animated. Um, there's uh, so- Very E.E. E. Cummings or Shell. Yeah, it, it gets into that. And John was deliberately doing these things and I'm not much of a fan of, of breaking the rules to prove you can break the rules, but he was breaking the rules because it served the story. And so I was like, he's a big fan of postmodernism. And that's another thing I don't understand that makes me feel stupid. So I claim to hate it. No, nobody does. He pushed <laughs> this book on me to make me like it. But um, uh, Guy Psycho and the Ziggurat of Shame is about an alcoholic, land, uh, alcoholic lounge singer who is forced to reenact the epic poem of Gilgamesh inside a mountain in Tennessee which makes sense eventually with the book, but it gets very visually interest, visually weird. And one of my interns had been learning InDesign really well and getting not cocky with it, but wanting to play with it. And she was like, well, well, let's see what we can do. And so with this book with John King, I said, you two go to town and see what you can do. Have fun with the layout. And that's where we start getting all black pages. And we have a scene where the, the text goes like an hourglass. Very, yeah, E.E. E. Cummings on the page. And Nicole saw that. And they were like, look, okay, the reason my book keeps getting rejected is they can't produce it. They don't have the technical ability to produce the book. I'm like, why? What are you trying to do? Like laser holograms or something? Like, she goes, no, it's just turn the page one way or have text over a picture. And like, that stuff sounds really easy. Um, so right when the pandemic started and we all went um, on, you know, being teaching from home, I had a little bit of extra time. I talked to Nicole and I said, hey, let's, would you want me to, to, I said, I would happily do the production of your book and you can self-publish it. She's like, no, I'm academically trained. I can't self-publish my book. And I went, okay. I said, well, if I do the work anyway, do you care if I publish it? 
I said, I don't normally do poetry. I don't want to be known for poetry, but technically I can do what you need done for this book. Like the production part, I could do the special effects is what I could do. And Nicole kind of was like, yeah, this book has got to get out or I'm just, it, it's got to go away, get out of my life. So that's the book that um, I'm doing. That's a little hundred page collection of poetry with art with words on it. There's a lot of, you know, word poems cut out and glued onto things, glued onto art. There's one painting that actually has a physical zipper in it and things like this um, that make it really complicated to represent on the page um, in addition to just the layout and spaces in the poetry. Instead of underlines, there's just blank spaces like extra tabs and things that I don't understand. And I'm like, cool, I... I understood that sentence, but so I'm producing that work um, kind of for Nicole or with Nicole, and that's coming out. So that's the thing that I've been working on and playing with. Well, heck, I, I don't really care for poetry that much either, but you interested me in it. <laughs> I know this is just an audio podcast, but I've got the PDF. I could totally screen share and show you what it looks like. Yeah, I'll send you some some images of John King's book and what we did with that, and I'll send you images of what's happening with Nicole's book, so you have an idea because it's visually um, different. It's and but the problem is, is I'm married to a graphic designer. Technically, you know, I've seen what's possible, so I've learned enough as far as book layout. And I guess the idea is a lot of people at small presses, or a lot of times people start presses, they're usually literary writers and they don't have the technical production background, like they can lay a book out if it's just the state, the standard typical book. Um, but I guess when it starts getting into graphically complicated things, that's where it cuts into people's limitations. Also the book needed, Nicole's book needed to be in color. It, it totally, this is the ultimate exercise and we're doing it for fun. We're doing it because it's neat and, Hopefully somebody picks it up and it melts their brain somewhere and they're like, what the heck is this? Um, just because we could. Gotcha. All right. Well, Matt Peters, thank you for coming on board. You're a member of the Florida Book Club now. Yay! Thanks for attending this meeting with the Florida Book Club. If you were curious about indie publishing and or indie writing, perhaps you might now think it's not as glamorous as it's made out to be. Hello. But you should still check out Beating Windward, to which we have a link on our website, as well as Borough Press and whatever indie presses might be based in your region. You might luck into discovering some real literary gems, as I have, and you'll hopefully get a better idea of the work that goes into making these aspirations a reality. Remember to support your local independent presses, bookstores, and public libraries. See you at our next meeting.